You guys may be seated. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Joel chapter 1. In our notes, I have Joel chapter 2, so brother, just start following me on the Bible, please. I want to introduce you to the prophet Joel today. We're in a series on the prophets. It's called, Thus Says the Lord, a word from the prophets. And before I get to the passage in chapter 2, which will be our message that God says he will pour out his spirit, I want to go to chapter 1, and I want to introduce you to him, give you some history, and let you learn about him. By the way, if you hear any sounds that don't belong in church, please be patient with us. Our sound system is demon-possessed this morning. So, Satanas, we command you to leave. In el nombre de Jesucristo, something is going on, and we are going to figure it out. We don't know if it's the heat because it's pushing so hard, putting pressure on the circuits. Our electrician will be looking at it this week. We believe in this church that when the prophets speak, Christians listen. So the Old Testament has prophets that we're supposed to learn from. The one that we're going to learn about today, Joel, actually comes uh, back into the New Testament when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. So the birth of the church starts with Joel's preaching. Brother, would you go to the notes? Let's show them the timeline. I want you to get a timeline of these prophets because I've gone out of order with them and you've been coming probably trying to figure out like where do they all fit. Here's a cool timeline. You could check it out on the app or on the website of where these prophets fit. We're going to be learning about Joel today. He's actually the second of the minor prophets. We did learn about Jonah already. Jonah's the only one that comes before him. Minor prophets just means those who have a smaller amount of content. Major means a bigger portion of content, but they're not like less or greater than. When you look at the time frames that they're in, you look at the prophet Joel, who we're going to learn today, is around the 800s. He prophesies about the fall of Samaria as well as the destruction of Jerusalem in 600 BC. So he comes about 250 years before uh, this stuff happens to Israel out of judgment, and he prophesies about it. He talks about things that are going to happen 200 years in advance. Then when he talks about the end times, he's actually even talking about the time we live in right now so thousands of years ahead of time. If you want to look here on your own time, you can see the rest of the prophets and how they tie in. Let's go to Jonah, uh, Joel chapter 1, and let's look at the, the book here so you can get to know about him in your scriptures and follow along on the karaoke screen, and then we'll get to the passage in chapter 2. Joel chapter 1, verse 1, tells us who he is. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethiel, says in verse 2, Hear this, you elders, listen all who live in the land. So do you all live in the land? Okay, so you're supposed to hear this. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Now he begins to talk about judgment. Remember, hundreds of years ahead of time. He says, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. So basically all these bugs and plagues keep eating stuff. Stuff, and yet more keeps coming, eating the little bit that was left over. That's a symbol of judgment. Then he starts to rebuke him, verse, rebuke the people in verse 5. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. Now, I want you all to think about this. If we're in this generation right now where it's legal to kill your children in the womb, where it's okay to change your gender, where people are being mistreated on the streets, where gangs and violence continue to increase, murder rates continue to increase, if you think this is normal, you're deceived because it's not. But now listen, how long do you think it will take for all of this stuff to result in God's judgment? What, 20 years from now? 30 years from now, 50 years from now. It's coming. I'm just asking how many years do you think it could be in advance? Joel is prophesying 200 years in advance. At this time when he's talking, Israel is living in prosperity. They're having their best life now. Life looks amazing. But yet God cares so much about these people that he says, if you guys don't change your ways, it is going to get bad, like locusts coming. And then you think it's over, it's going to get worse because more locusts are going to come. And you think it's over, it's not. It's going to get worse. This army that's going to come upon you is going to conquer you, and then they're going to conquer you again, and then they're going to steal from you, and then they're going to rape and take your children. This is going to continue over and over again till you think you can't take anymore. 
So stop drinking. Stop getting partying. Stop acting like life is always going to be this party for you. Weep and wail. Let's continue on. Would we hear a word like this ahead of time? Look at what it says in verse 13. Of chapter 1, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Will you who minister before the altar. Now imagine this, saying to a megachurch pastor right now, weep and mourn, wail. And they're going, why? My church is big. Everything's going great. I have a number one selling book. Why should I stop right now and weep and wail? And God is saying, because it's coming. It's coming. If you don't stop, it's coming. And that's what he's saying to these priests. He's saying, hey, priests, you need to stop right now. You need to weep and wail. You need to see what's coming. Now, sadly, they didn't listen. They didn't weep and wail. Look at verse 14. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders. That's like the leaders. And all who live in the land to the house of the Lord and cry out to the Lord. Come to church and make it right. But people don't want to do it. Joel then says, what's going to happen? The armies are going to come. They're going to invade them and destroy them. Now go to chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12 is the last bit of hope they get. It's still in that passage, please. Chapter 2, verse 12 now says what they need to do if they want this to stop. And it would be up to you if you would be willing to listen. you got to go back to the passage, my brother, please. Thank you. Joel says in chapter 2, verse 12, even now declares the Lord. Somebody say now. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Look at verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Waiting 200 years is pretty slow to anger if you ask me. Took 100 years for Noah to build an ark. That's pretty slow to anger. How long has America been killing babies? How long have we been doing arson? God's pretty slow to anger, isn't he? He is. Slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing. Okay, so let's just get the story. Joel's prophesying 200 years before the, the judgment comes upon the people of Israel. It's going to come in two phases. First, to the, uh, the northern tribes, the 10 tribes of Israel are going to be invaded by Assyria. Then a little bit later, to the two southern tribes, they're going to be invaded by Babylon. It is going to get bad. It will be so bad that women out of starvation will eat their own children. People are going to be castrated and brought into slavery. They're going to be forced to worship idols. If they don't, they'll be thrown into fiery furnaces. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got into that place. If they don't listen to the rulers like Daniel, they'll be thrown into lion's dens. It is going to get bad for them. And yet God is warning them hundreds of years in advance saying, hey, rend your hearts. Turn to me. I am gracious. I am compassionate. I am slow in anger. I want to bless you. And yet they don't. Once again, let me ask you a question. How many more years do you think God is going to tolerate our sin in America before he sends judgment? How could judgment come? Judgment could come in a lot of different ways. How many world empires have come and gone? Just think about it and the different ways that they have fallen. The Greek empire, the Roman empire, the Egyptian empire, the Persian empire. Think about how often they rise and they fall. America is only, what, a few hundred years old, 400 years if you count since we started settling here and all of that. Think about that for a little bit. If nations like Egypt, 1,000 plus, 2,000 plus year old nations could rise and fall just like that, you don't think God could do that to us? I know we've won World War I. I know we've won World War II. But couldn't God use an army bigger, smarter, more committed to the cause than us and defeat us, make us their slaves? Couldn't God allow us to fall from our own moral decay to where our families are so disrupted by the, the sexual perversion and by the abuse of the land that we can't even raise our own children and function? Couldn't God allow poverty, depressions, and recessions to take away our economy to where nothing more than just a myth. Uh, I mean, just, not, nothing more than just a shadow of what we once were. Where are the Egyptian armies? Where are the Roman armies? Where are the Greek armies? Are you listening? 
Why would America be any different? And if you believe the Bible, the Bible says that the Antichrist rules by taking over all of these smaller kingdoms and makes them into one great kingdom. You just have to ask yourself what happened to America in the book of Revelation that now it's no longer a world power but joins with other countries to become a world power. Might you see the fall of a nation? Now, my question to you is not to make you just feel alarmed or make you feel afraid, but I'm bringing you to the mindset of Joel and his people. The people that he's speaking to were hearing the words, but they weren't listening. They thought they were smarter than God. They thought they could figure out a way to get around God's judgment and do it their way. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Now, what's really cool about this book is it's only three chapters, but it covers thousands of, his, uh, thousands of years of history. So think of it like this. The first two chapters, the first two and, a, uh, you know, two and a half chapters, describe what Israel's like at that time and what God will do if they don't listen. And then the rest of it says what he's going to do after he judges them. It basically takes for granted that they're not going to do it and that they will be judged and now he needs to give them hope. So let that just blow your mind for a minute. God says, here's what I'm going to do if y'all don't repent. I know you're not, so this is what I'm going to do after I have to paddle your behind and you don't repent and you learn the hard way. That's what the rest of the part of the book is about. And the hope that we have in here is actually the part that comes into the New Testament. So think about it like this. He's around 800 B.C., talking about things that are going to happen in 600 B.C. Those things happen at the time when they do in 600 B.C. And then God restores people to Israel 70 years after that captivity, as we've learned from Daniel and Jeremiah. And then there's 400 years of silence and waiting where God is not talking to them. There's no more prophets. And then John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes. The, the death, burial, and resurrection happens. And then Peter, on the day of Pentecost, go there with me now, Acts chapter 2, starts to preach the rest of the book of Joel. And now says, this is where it's popping off. Did y'all just get that? And then, watch this. Let it even blow your mind some more. When Peter starts preaching the book of Joel... There's parts that we're still waiting to experience right now 2,000 years from when he started preaching. Do you think the prophets have something to say to us today? They do. Go to Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 upon the disciples, they began to speak in other tongues. Powerful signs and wonders began to come. And then they began to preach to the people of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching, verse 14, to the same ones who murdered his Jesus just a few days prior, 50 days prior. Look at what he says in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. The reason why they thought they were drunk is because they were speaking in tongues of angels and of men. We'll talk about that in just a moment. It says, he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet who? By the prophet Joel. Now, go to the notes, please. Go to the notes. You stay right where you're at. Good sir is going to go to the notes for me. You follow along in Acts 2 as I read from Joel 2. And let's see how Peter did from memory. Thank God for preachers who memorize the scriptures because they weren't walking around with scrolls that day. See how he did. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in heavens and on earth, blood and and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. How did he do? He did pretty good. What part did he skip? The part right there at the end, didn't he? Go to Acts 2.38. He continues the rest of the message. 
Acts 2.38, he brings back up that passage of whoever the Lord our God will call and that this is for the ends of the earth. Look at Acts 2.38. Peter replied after they heard all of this and they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will what? Will call. Okay, let's put it all together now. Joel's a prophet coming hundreds of years before the destruction of Israel, and he's saying, you guys better repent. They don't repent. God knew they weren't repenting, so he gave them a word of hope. The word of hope comes literally 500 years after they get brought back to Israel after their captivity, and then that pops off on the New Testament church day, birthday, and we're still waiting for the billows of smoke, the, the sky to turn black, all of those things. That's when we know the last days end. Okay, so now let me ask you a question. Are you willing to be the people that the prophet was talking about? Because let's go to the notes now and look at the people he's talking about there. In Joel, he says, afterward, after what? After God has punished Israel, then he is going to pour out his spirit on his sons and daughters. Go up to the passage, please. Look at what it says. I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. So are you part of all people? Yes, you are. Now, notice what he says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What was Joel doing in that time right there? Prophesying. What are you going to do now? Prophesy. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. Joel is literally saying God's going to multiply the office of a prophet. It used to just be a few of us, but there's going to come a day where it's going to be all of us. How many know we need all the prophets we can use, uh, get right now in this land? We need all hands on deck. And I love how it says sons and daughters because before I am a pastor, I am a son of God. Before I am a father, I am a son of God. Before I'm a warrior, I'm a son of God. Before you're a mother, before you're a nurse, before you're a police officer, you are a son or daughter of God. And so what it's saying is here, you don't have to be a great orator. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to be rich. All you have to do to qualify for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is be a son or daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? That's why the Bible says not many among us were even noble. Not many among us were wise. When God called us, he wasn't looking for the head of the class. He was looking for people who would be willing to be sons and daughters. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for Christians, or excuse me, rich people to become Christians. And this lets you know, according to the world, uh, you know, economic outlook, you're rich. And that's why it's hard for you to be a Christian. And that's why it's hard for your friends to be a Christian. Because you have so many other distractions in this life to keep you busy and to make you feel that you are self-reliant. You can look up google.com and get any information you want. You can go to a doctor when you are sick. You can, you know, have all the, the food in the world you can imagine at Jewel. You're not starving. You're not desperate. You're not hungry. And so because you have all of these physical benefits, you begin to think, that equates to spiritual superiority. Because I have these things, a school, a church that I can go to, or my, my country is powerful, whatever, you then take that and say, well, I don't need God. I'm self-sufficient. I have all that I need. And that's why it's hard for this generation to hear God's words. Where when we go to the poor villages of India or we go to Central and South, South America, they come running to the church. They're filling up stadiums. Because they see what God does for them. We have to be convinced. We have to have the best singer come. We have to have the Christian comedian come. They'll just come because Jesus is there. My friend right now uh, is doing mission work in the Congo. When they give out Bibles, it's like Christmas. Do you understand that? Look up a video when you have time. Chinese Christians getting Bibles. They literally pick up the Bibles with tears streaming down their eyes. 
You don't even pay attention to your Bible half the time. But many of you, you get my point. Many here in our culture do not pay attention. But today, God is asking us to get out of our compromise and get into the kingdom and stop being lukewarm and start being on fire and start taking our place at the table as sons and daughters. Because though we're sons and daughters to God in that relationship, we become rulers and people of authority down here. The devil has to listen to us, in other words. So sons and daughters of God become rulers of God's kingdom on the earth. Now, might we suffer along the way? Sure, not everybody's going to like us, but our right as kingdom kids, king's kids, as what we call our children in the back, is to call down God's kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. See, some of you are afraid to be a son or daughter on your job because you think it's going to cost you too much. So you want to come into Babylon, and you want to act like the Babylonians. See, when Daniel and his friends went into Babylon, they didn't want to act like the Babylonians. They wanted to still be the people of God. And I want to lead that by example, because I want everybody to look up at me, please. I want everybody to get this. When I stand up here and I do what I'm doing right now, I have the most to lose out of every single one of you right now. You want to know why? Because my income is directly related to the, those that want to support this message and the work that we're doing here. So if I don't uh, preach against their sins and I don't tell the culture that they're evil, how many know I'm going to get a bonus? I'm going to get more people here. But you see me not fearing man, I'll take the pay cut. I will preach on this little stage and do it God's way and make less as a pastor and let people talk about me on Facebook, put me down, do all of that because I know I'm doing God's will. So let me ask you a question. You willing to put your livelihood on the line for Jesus? You willing to do that? Because I put mine on the line. I'm telling you, I've put mine on the line. Y'all been to bigger churches than this, haven't you? What, you don't think I can preach as good as them? What, our worship band is not as good as them? We don't write books as good as them? Come on now, be honest with yourself. Why is it we don't have as many as them right now? You know a lot of them who go to those churches. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm just saying let's be honest. Why is it? Because nobody gets in their business. Nobody talks about the sins of the culture. Nobody wants to disciple you. Just come to their little Bible studies and that's it. Why am I doing it different? Because I'm compelled to be a son or daughter that prophesies to this generation. I would rather have the treasures of heaven than your tithe and offering. I know that we need it to operate, but I'm willing right now to make a sacrifice for that. I want to tell you a person that did that times 10. You know who that was? John the Baptist. All John the Baptist had to do was just mind his own business, be a good old prophet, and just talk to God's people. But you know what he did? He started meddling with King Herod's business. He was shouting outside of King Herod's palace, you're an adulterer because you took your brother's wife. You're not right with God. And you could almost just hear Herod talk to them. What you say, boy? Man, you ain't nothing. You ain't got nothing. Arrest him. Put him in a dungeon. Let me tell you how much the adulterous woman of Herod that he was with, that woman, how much she hated John the Baptist. You know what she said? She said to her daughter, you go shake your thing in front of your stepdad, turn him on, and when he is turned on, he'll ask you what you want, like he'll make it rain. When he asks you that, you tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's the Bible, friends. All John the Baptist had to do to literally keep his head was stay out of their business. Was John the Baptist dumb? Was he stupid? Could he, could he have lived longer, influenced more people, wrote more books, been known as a great leader? Did he miss his purpose by getting involved in politics and, and, and in being petty? Because all people are sinners after all. Now, this is what the Bible says about John the Baptist. There's no one born of a woman greater than him. But in the kingdom of God, now in the new covenant, because the old covenant prophet ended with John the Baptist, and, and Jesus said, the best was last. There was nobody greater than him. This was the man right here. But then the Bible says, now in the kingdom of God, he's the bottom, he's the floor. Every one of you are more. 
You say, how in the world can that be? How could I be more than John the Baptist? Because you get this now, and John the Baptist only got a taste of it. You get a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So now watch this. Watch this. Some of you are already getting excited. Some don't know what to do yet because you're like, God's going to expect me to do something. Yes, he is. He's going to expect you to do something like John the Baptist. So now listen, he said about John the Baptist, he said up until this time, this is the way it's been. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. People have been fighting against it and trying to hold it back, but the violent take it by force. What did we learn about John the Baptist? He was just as violent about the kingdom of God as they were about the kingdom of darkness. Now, understand the term violence here. We do not mean violence of the earthly sword. That's how they were doing it against us. But as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, we use the sword of the Spirit in our battles, not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and powers. So what we're supposed to do, as they're coming against us with all the fleshly weapons and carnal uh, things they can use to persecute us, put us down, ostracize us, make us try to feel stupid on Facebook and social media, we are supposed to be more passionate and more violent in the spirit about living for God and his kingdom than they are for the world. Let me help you see it like this. What's pushing against you right now, you're supposed to push down. What's trying to conquer you right now in this culture, you're supposed to conquer it. What's messing with you, you're supposed to mess with it. Go back to David. Go back to David. When David came up to the battle line to go give his brother some cheese and bread as a little shepherd boy, he saw that all the warriors were standing back and listening to one big giant named Goliath threaten them all day long. And what did David do? Did David say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to respect my elders. I'm not going to, you know, cause any problems. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stand out and look too radical. No, he came up there and goes, hey, boys, what's going on? I thought God was on our side. Why is this circum uncircumcised Philistine threatening you? Why aren't you doing something about it? And they said, oh, you're just a boy. You, you don't know anything about this. You're just a small church. You're just a storefront church. Y'all can't do nothing about this. And you know what he said? He said, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. King said, oh, let me give you some armor. He said, I don't need your backslid and armor. All I need is what God has always given me. That's all I need is my slingshot because God worked it for me with a bear. God worked it for me with a lion. He'll be no different with this, this Philistine. He's coming down. Now watch this, what the Bible says. When he saw Goliath, Goliath starts mocking him and saying, man, you aren't even a person. You're a dog. You are nothing to me. But what did David do? He started running right at that dude. I want to ask, is there anybody in here today that's not running from the enemy, but you run into the enemy? Is there anybody here today that's sick and tired of being told you're nothing, you're just a dumb Christian, you just go to that small church, you can't make a difference, but how many here are wanting to get over that and be a conqueror, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and run and knock that devil out? Knock him out. Come on, somebody. Knock him out in Jesus' name. Because let's just get it straight. Let's just get it straight. If God was promising Joel a revival, then you and I can see it right now. We can see it right now. If he was saying he's being slow to send the calamity, he's being patient with them, then guess what? God's being patient with us. Now think about it. If God sent Jonah to a pagan nation to try to get them to repent, how many prophets do you think he's sending to big old America to get us to repent? I know I'm not the only one. Come on, somebody. If he sent two of his angels to go out there to try to find at least 10 righteous before he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, how many know God is holding back his judgment with those same angels right now because there's more than 10 righteous? In other words, the only reason why God has not judged us right now is because there are prophets in the land and there are righteous people doing that work. And God says, I am not judging this land until the prophet's job is done. Until the prophet's job is done. And you may say, well, go, pastor, go. No, the prophet's job is sons and daughters. You will prophesy. The old men, you feel like, man, you've just been around so long, you don't have anything else to give. No, you're not done yet. You're going to dream dreams. And so those old men are like my dad. My dad's in his 70s. 
He said he didn't retire. He refired. Find a picture of my dad with an Ocala for Jesus shirt on preaching with people on the streets. My dad moved to a retirement village and somehow found the inner city closest to that place and now preaches to them. I went to visit my dad. You know, it looks like a little like a retirement village in Florida, like what you think it would be. But then my dad says, I go to a bad neighborhood around here. I preach the gospel to people in the hood and all this. And I'm like, there's no way there's a hood way out here in the middle of Ocala. He's like, oh, yeah, there's a hood. Somebody knows because she used to live by out there. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a hood. And when I got dropped off by the Uber in that hood, I was like, oh, yeah, we're in the hood. We're in the hood. And guess what? Guess what? My dad had his tent set up giving out books and Bibles, preaching to the young people, making disciples of the parents. What's your excuse? My dad's dreaming. When my dad closes his eyes, you know what he dreams? Of a Chicago without gangs, of an America without abortion. When old men are dreaming right now, you know what they're dreaming? Where people know their gender again and moms and dads live together and don't keep getting divorces. Where children are raised up in a family and they don't have to wonder who their parent is and Maury Povich is out of business along with Jerry Springer and all the other crazy ones. that's, That's him with the Bible. Get him on the streets, please. Find him with a tent on the streets. Thank you, though. Sons and daughters prophesy. Not just pastors, sons and daughters prophesy. And old men, they get to do something too. They get to dream dreams. And then guess what? Young men get to what? See visions. What is it we put up on this board every single week? 100,000, right? 50 churches in Chicago, 500 around the world. You know where that came from? That came from a young man. I started the church at 28 years old. Both my parents are in the 70s, and that's their gospel tent. Let's give it up for Jesus using old people. Amen? So what's your excuse? What's your excuse? That's them going to the hood. That's them putting out the gospel tent. What's your excuse, young person? You're a son or daughter. It's time for you to prophesy. It's time for you to put in work for Jesus. Put up our vision, please. When I got this as a 28-year-old man, I didn't have gray hair like I have now. I, I didn't have the wrinkles that I have now. I was 28. I'm 42 now. But God gave me a vision of 100,000 sons and daughters prophesying. And so you know what? We got to be okay if some people don't want to be sons and daughters and prophesy. I got to be okay with that. Why? Because I'm looking towards the future. I would rather build the right way, the foundation now, instead of doing it the wrong way and then later have to regret what we have. See, what some of y'all don't know about me is I used to preach on bigger stages than this. I used to preach to more people in this. As a matter of fact, this is the biggest the church has ever been right now, so don't feel sorry for me. We're still growing. But listen, I used to preach on bigger stages than this, but my wife will tell you, Nancy will tell you right there in the back, I preached a message almost identical to what I am preaching right now at a church with about 500 people, and when I got done, I said to them, and all of you who want to join me for praying for revival and to go after God for him to bring heaven to earth, meet me at this altar. And I went on my knees, and when I looked up, there was nobody at that altar. Not one person out of that 500. I then preached on my knees another five minutes, and I said, dear God, people, we have got to come to this altar. We have got to repent. They dug in their heels more. They dug in their heels more. I talked to the senior pastor after that because I was the youth pastor after the service was over. And I was like, man, what do you think? Because I'm thinking, like, he, he's going to be just as grieved as me. Like, man, that, that's really his church. I'm his youth pastor, but that's really the church God gave him to oversee. I'm thinking he's going to be embarrassed, ashamed, or at, at least see it as a challenge. You know what he said to me? I want every young person to look up at me. You know what he told me? He said, you shouldn't have gone to your knees like that. He said, that made you look desperate. He said, that made you look like you were trying to manipulate them the way you kept on going on on your knees. I looked back at him and I told him, I will cry right now, man, talking about this. My wife remembers this. I went on my, I, I told him, I said, brother, the reason why I went on my knees is because I said, if nobody else here will, I will, Jesus. I mean, I went on my, I said, man, I went on my knees for my Jesus. I said, I don't even come from Chicago. I've already, at that time, I had only been in the city for a few months. I said, man, I had to be on my knees 
You think I'm trying to manipulate them? I don't care about them. I'm on my knees before my God for this city, for these people, for my own life. Because I know I'm a son or a daughter that's called to prophesy. So I want you guys to all understand this here. I'm not trying to manipulate you into this message. What I'm trying to do is give it to you. And the same God that put it in my spirit and burned it within my soul as he baptized me with the power of the spirit, I'm asking him to do the same thing in your life. Because we are still in those last days. Go back to the passage on the notes, please. Because I don't know about you, but we haven't seen the sky turn to black yet. I'm not talking about a natural, you know, eclipse or something like that. But the Bible says the sun, the sun rather, will be turned to darkness. That's in Revelation 6.12. Why did I hit my knees that day? The same reason I'll hit my knees in a few moments here. Because, dear God, before you turn the sky black, would you have mercy on this land? Please, Jesus. Some of y'all read the Bible like me growing up in church, and you saw these passages in Revelation, and you are like, man, God is angry. How did it get to that? 50, listen, over 50 million children just in this country have been slaughtered in abortion clinics. Now, do you know why he turns the waters to blood? Do you get it, guys? Come on, man. Now do you know why he sends down fire from the sky? Do you get it? I mean, why do you think he's so angry that day? Why do you think the wrath of God is coming? Just look at how they treat our Jesus now. Look at how they mock him. Look at how they they scorn his creation. And we are here now, the Bible says, to bring everyone to call on the name of the Lord. See, that's why we're here. Uh, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Go back to Acts now, please. Acts 2.38. I know I'm working that word, but how many get in a spiritual workout with it? Amen. Go to Acts 2.38. Because when that Holy Spirit came on those disciples and they were preaching and they were emotional like my brother gets emotional and I'm emotional up here. Look at why they were given that Holy Spirit. Some of you come to church, and I know we love to pray for people, and we always will for emotional healing. I know I need it, and we will always do it here. No strings attached. But listen, it is not just for you, people. The Holy Spirit is not just for you. The Holy Spirit is not just to fix all your hurts and boo-boos. The Holy Spirit is not just to do that. The Holy Spirit is here to give you power to be a witness. Watch what Peter said, repent, be baptized. We know this, right? The promise is for you and all of your children. Now go to the next verse. Watch this. Go to the next verse for me, please, sir. Look at what he says. With many other words, what did he do? He did what? He warned them. And what did he do? pleaded with them. And what did he say? Y'all read this on the count of three. What did he say? One, two, three. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. One more time, what did he say? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Pastor got upset I was on my knees. What do you think I'm doing, sir? I am pleading with this generation. I am pleading with them. Be saved from this corrupt generation. Now, I know many of you right now, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, Pastor, I don't have the courage to do that. It comes easy for you and for others, but I don't know the Bible like you do, and, man, I'm not strong like you are, Pastor. I'm just a new Christian, and, you know, I get scared when I talk to people. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, quickly. Acts 1, verse 8. Because this will tie it all together, and then we're going to all hit our knees and cry out to God to do this. Can I get an Amen. Because if we are in the last days, there's an outpouring to be had. There's a, there's a city to be won. There's a nation to change in Jesus' name. We're going to be history makers and world changers in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be a generation that seeks God and finds him in our time. Amen. We're going to see that God still answers prayers and still comes and changes nations. 
So the disciples asked him right before he left. They're like, man, you rose from the dead. This is awesome. We're ready for the kingdom of God. We're ready to jump, skip, and do all the things of the prophets that said we would do in the new heaven and new earth. When's it happening, God? When are we doing it? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Have you ever saw how far Chicago is from Jerusalem? You're at the end of the earth to them. You're at the other side of the globe, baby. That promise is still being fulfilled. Why didn't God just bring the kingdom right then and there? Can I tell you why? All the Roman people, like me, Italians, we would have been cut out. All the Latinos here, Native American folks, all the Spaniards, cut out. All the Africans, all the Asians, cut out. But hold on. In Joel's prophecy, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. That meant that Joel understood that the promises coming in the last days weren't just going to be for Israel but for those who choose the Israeli Messiah, Jesus, as well, the Gentiles. I'm not a Jew, but I worship the Jew, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? I worship the Messiah of the Jews as a Gentile. And so here's where we all can go. And, and go open up Logos, please, the Bible software, and put in that scripture, Acts 1.8. Because I want to show you something about that word witness. There it is. Right-click on that word witness. Right-click on it, sir. You will be my witnesses. What word does it say up there? Martyrs. You'll be my what? Martyrs. Martyrs. Isn't that the Greek word right there? You see it, right? You're going to lay down your life for Jesus. You're going to lay down your life for Jesus. I'm not saying it's going to be easy now bringing the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says we may be like lambs led to the slaughter. They may take us and put us in prison. They may hate us. Have you ever wondered how people just like you and I could literally watch in gladiator arenas people get eaten alive? This is how, you bigot. You don't believe in our gods? You mean you're telling me my children who worship Zeus, if they don't repent, will go to hell? You mean to tell me my culture of having sex slaves and having little boys and pedophilia, you're telling me your God will judge me when my Caesar does it? Put him in the arena. Watch him die now. You speak against my Caesar, you die now. We'll cut your throats and bleed you out in this arena. We'll put you before wild beasts. The people of Rome had no compassion on us. Sometimes we think when we watch these movies like Gladiator, that's what it was like for these Christian martyrs, that there would be some type of slow clap while these Christians would die. They would spit on them and say, you hate mongers. Get out of our culture. Condemning all of us. You stupid people, all you have to do is just admit there's other gods. All you have to do is say Caesar is a god. You stupid, one-minded, one-sided people will kill you all right now. We'll rid you of our culture. They weren't slow clapping for the preacher standing up in the gladiator arena as if they were some hero. They were spitting loogies at them. Why? Because the Bible says, listen, Jesus told us this, that when they kill you, they will think they are doing something good. They will literally think that they're doing the right thing killing you. You ever listen to the way they argue with you on Facebook? You're such an idiot. I don't have time to talk to you about this. God gave us the ability to change our genders. We get to do whatever we want. There's not only one way to heaven, you stupid Christian. You know, babies in the womb, they're not really conscious yet. You can't tell a woman what to do. Are you going to tell a woman who's right? She has to keep that child. You can just see their anger. See, I've been to places like Mardi Gras where you give them a few drinks and you loosen up the law a little bit. I've seen them punch preachers right in the face for saying just what I'm saying now. I watched one group of uh, Satanists who came down to party, like wearing black and all types of crazy tattoos, actually grab the cross that Christians have, 
run it through the French Quarter upside down saying, Hail Satan. That's with the police watching. What do you think they would have done if there was no police there? They would have put that preacher right on that cross. You see, my friends, we're all weak and powerless, fearful to do this. You think I have something you don't when I go stand on Wright College, you know, the, the corner there, right, on, on uh, Narragansett and, and Lawrence or Montrose, whatever. You think I have something better in me than you? No. But the Bible says I get the power to do this. That's why he said when they bring you before governors and they bring you before leaders and you don't know what to say because you're so scared, they bring you before your boss or they bring you before your your principal and you don't know what to say. You're supposed to speak what God speaks to you. So I'm going to ask you today, does anybody here want to be a witness? Because this is what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. So first thing about following Jesus is it's not about you anymore. It's not about you. The next thing is he said, pick up your what? Cross. And then what did he say? Follow him. Now, can we do great things along the way? Yes. Because I always like to look at the time during, the, uh, during, during slavery and then during the Jim Crow laws when African Americans were suffering. I love to look to them as examples because, you know what, they started to get smart. And as they began to realize, you know what, these people don't want to put our faces on their products. You know what, we'll start making our own products. They don't want to let us into their hotels. We'll start making our own hotels. There were more entrepreneurs in New Orleans during the Jim Crow era than there is now in black community. Because they said, we're going to put in work. We will outdo them. We will outwork them. And that's what we need to do as Christians right now. Oh, they don't hire you at that school. Let's start our own schools. Steve Jobs or, you know, Apple, that company won't hire you. Invent the next phone, Christian, and we'll hire you. Do you understand? You start taking over here with the gifts and the abilities that God gives you and stop having the fear of man. Why can't God make you an entrepreneur? Why can't you be the next Chick-fil-A? Why can't you be the next Hobby Lobby? Why can't you be the next In-N-Out Burger? Why can't you be the next Forever 21? Are you listening here today? Why can't we become the entrepreneurs and say, hey, on our job, you don't have to pray with us, but we pray here. That's what they do at Hobby Lobby. We pray here. You don't have to pray with us, but we pray here. You don't have to go to the chaplain, but we have a chaplain on our job here. You don't have to stay at home and go to church on Sundays, but we closed on Sundays. You see, we've been so intimidated by Babylon that we don't think we have wisdom or authority or a power. You have the power to lay down your life. And the Bible says you can also be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. That means you can start working this system. Daniel became a head governor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became blessed. Joseph became the second in command of, with Pharaoh in, in Egypt. So until they put us in a jail cell, we don't die, we multiply, amen? And we will thrive in the medical community. We will thrive in the educational community. Where do you think all these schools came from, people? Where do you think Harvard came from? Put up Harvard on Wikipedia right now, please. Harvard was started by a pastor like me. Here's the books of my library. Start teaching people stuff. Start letting the Native Americans come for free. They were started as Bible colleges, Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Does anybody here want the power of the Holy Spirit to affect and impact every realm that you live in? But how do you do it? From laying down your life. Laying down your life. I want you to think about this. My friend was doing mission work in India and they were out there preaching, and uh, he saw that, I've, I've told the story over here before, and they, he saw the Indian pastor arguing with some business owner, and it was getting hot and heated, and, uh, and so he, you know, he, the guy came back, and my friend asked him, the Indian pastor, man, what was that business owner telling you? What was he telling you? And he was saying, man, if you don't stop, uh, you know, we're going to call the police. If you don't stop, we're going to do this, this, and that, and then the, the missionary said, well, what'd you tell him? What'd you tell him? And he said, I'm willing to die for this. And he said, the guy looked at him. I said, well, I guess I know where you stand now. You see, you have to get to the point where you say, okay, you're going to take my job. You're going you're to take my stuff. Okay, okay, let me just save you the point. I'm willing to die for this. Okay, I'm a martyr for Jesus right now. I'm not going to let some Muslim extremists defined, define what that word means. What martyr means for us as Christians is laying down our life for the cause of Christ. So I don't have any other fear after that. The fear of death is what? You just send me to meet Jesus quicker? Oh, shucks. Oh, snickerdoodles. I get to go to heaven. 
So I don't really have anything else to lose. You send my children to heaven. I'll see you up there, children. Hello. Look at Harvard. You know what, the, you know what the, uh, this thing stands for right here in Latin? Their motto, truth. Go on down here. Scroll right here. Keep scrolling down. Keep scrolling. So I'm going to show them right here. Go right here to where it says the history. Keep going. Keep going right here. Keep going. Keep going. You got to keep going down. It's going to tell them where it started. I want you to see here. Go down. It's going to have a historical category. I don't know what you just, okay, right here. No, no, go up. Go up, go up please. Scroll like how my hand is going. You see how my hand is going? See what direction my hand is going? Go like this. There you go. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. Hold on to the history. Hit colonial right there for me, please. Scroll right here. Stop, 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 stop. What does it say right there on the left in Latin? Cristo. Cristo et ecclesia. Truth in the middle. What did you notice from the emblem now that they don't have? Yeah. Come on, I'll keep you here all day. I'll keep you here all day. What do you want to start? You want to start a tech company? Listen to me. Everyone that wants to do something right now in arts and entertainment, it has never been easier for you to go rogue. People with video cameras sitting in their bedroom got 100 million followers. Post Malone made a video and a song and put it on SoundCloud and blew up the entire internet. Cardi B was stripping before she became a rapper. Are you guys listening? Outdo the world. You get out there and outdo them. Outshine them. Outwork them. Outperform them. Why? You have the power of the Holy Ghost. You are a living witness. Outmom them. Come on, somebody. Six kids. I'm out mom and everybody in my neighborhood. All of them well behaved. Amen? Because no daddy's got, got muscle. Get spank them. No, I'm kidding. Half kidding. You out mom them. You out dad them. You outwork them. You out save them. You out invent them. Put up Francis Bacon. Anybody heard of Francis Bacon? Not the bacon you eat, but Francis Bacon. Anybody heard of him? Wikipedia Francis Bacon for me, please. As he does this, the scientific revolution was started by Christians. Is there anything, let me ask you this before we close out in prayer. Is there anything that the Holy Spirit is limited in doing in your life? Is there one area, one area that you could raise up your hand and say, excuse me, pastor, Uh, I don't think God's going to be good at this. Is there any area, uh, you know, God, I don't, uh, you know, pastor, I don't think God's going to be good at, you know, forming a company. I don't think God's going to be good at invention. Look at Francis Bacon right here. Scroll down here a little bit, please. This crazy looking guy right here. Look at him. Scroll right down. Look at this. Look at this right here. We got to get to the writing, sir. There we go. Look at this right here. His works are credited with developing the scientific method and remain influential throughout the scientific revolution. Stop right there. How many of you would like to invent something like the scientific method? <laughs> like they weren't really doing science before that dude said, let me show you how. Francis Bacon was a Christian. Now, people like to talk stupid all the time. They say, well, you're just cultural Christians. No, they weren't. People during this time were rebelling against God, rebelling against the church, doing all types of crazy stuff. You can read about them in history. They're right there with them. These men understood that if God created this whole place by his spirit, then if they have the spirit of God, then they can understand the place. Then they can help others because the same spirit that formed the entire world is in them right now. Wasn't this Holy Spirit, the one we're talking about being poured out on sons and daughters and us prophesying, wasn't that Holy Spirit there at the creation of the earth? As the Bible says, the the Spirit hovered over the waters. Well, if the Spirit was there, doesn't the Spirit know the next thing? How many know that the technology to invent a phone was there that day when the Spirit was hovering over the waters? It just took us 6,000 years to figure it out. How many understand that the laws of gravity were there, amen? All of that after creation came to pass, to be more specific, was all there by the Holy Spirit. He knows it all. So let's ask God for the next invention. Let's ask God for the next place to be influential in. Because here's the deal. I don't want people to stop having their beliefs by us forcing them to stop. 
That's a different religion that does that. That's Islam. That's why Islam hates Christianity and doesn't let us preach in their country. We let them preach here, though you're not even allowed in Mecca. Think about that for a little bit. But we don't mind them coming here. Why? Because we believe the power of the Holy Spirit making us a witness will win every single time. Amen? So let's go back to the notes. I want to end out with these questions. Uh, Would you come, Adam, please? Parents, if you have children in the back, will you go back now and get them? We like to dismiss our children, workers, at a decent time. So if you're, uh, you're here and you have children in the back, go ahead and get them. And then you can bring them on in here. I want you to see about this as you study the scriptures. Look at the notes. I have, I have the references there. What does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? What was that experience that those disciples had that day? What it means is they got power, power to be witnesses, martyrs for Jesus, How do you get that power? You get it by faith in Jesus. That's where we read. All those who believe, repent of their sins, they receive it too. And it's not only just for you guys here, he said, it's for all who the Lord our God will call. Everybody say, it's for all who the Lord our God will call. Amen. And why should a person be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because without it, you can't operate in that miraculous power of God. When you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do things that are supernatural. What is prophesying? Supernatural speech on behalf of God, like knowing stuff only God knows. How many know uh, to prophesy, you got to have some supernatural ability? How about prophesying like a few hundred years before it happens and a few thousand years before things happen? That's supernatural. So you need that power. Let's keep going through these notes just quickly so you guys can get it in summary here. A lot of times people say, well, man, am I not a Christian if I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit? No, the Bible says all Christians get the Holy Spirit when they're born again. But then after being born again, you can ask for a special endowment of power. That's what the disciples got. See, the disciples were born again already. They didn't get born again on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on them and they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were already born again Christians. That experience was for power. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say you'll get saved. You get saved when you confess Jesus. Now, when we talk to people, we can, you know, say it like this. Be born of the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. And some people get it the same day. When I came back to Jesus as an 18-year-old kid, I knew how it worked. So once I accepted Jesus into my heart, I started asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I started receiving power and speaking in other tongues. And so that's the difference there but it can happen at the same day. Now, when people start talking about tongues, we, you know, people get weirded out. I got some notes I want you to see right here. Scroll up, please. When you look at what is speaking in tongues, we know they did it then, so the question is, is it for today? Of course it's for today. I don't have time to read it, but in a famous passage we all hear about in weddings is 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, if I speak in the tongues of what? men and angels and then have not love it does not it does not profit if i prophesy and i have not love but notice you can have both you're supposed to have tongues of men and angels and love you're supposed to prophesy and have love so the idea is we're not supposed to say all i need is love and forget about spiritual gifts we're supposed to go we're supposed to have spiritual gifts as well as love that's what that passage is teaching And then when you hear tongues of men and angels, well, doesn't it make sense that as we get baptized in the Spirit, sometimes people may understand our language and get a message out of it. Other times it may be like what angels are talking like because angels aren't walking around in heaven going, que paso, hello. How many know they probably have their own languages? Now, let's just be honest. When you were in a wedding and you heard that, tongues of men and angels, how many just let that slide? You didn't even get it. But now you do. Tongues of men and tongues of angels. Languages, that's just tongues means languages. Languages of men, languages of angels. How do I know I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When you receive unlearned languages. Only about three times in my Christian life have I spoken tongues and other people understood it, like they did in the book of Acts that one time. The other times, it's just tongues of angels. I'm speaking it unto God, and it's part of the flow of power. If he didn't want me to do it and know about tongues and angels, he shouldn't have told me to speak in the tongues of men and angels. Right? Okay. The next part is, what if I don't think speaking in tongues is my gift? Now, that's a tricky question, because sometimes Christians go, hey, man, I don't have that gift of speaking in tongues. 
the idea of having the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy that the Bible lists in 1 Corinthians 12 is for when you're in a church service, we may not all have a gift of tongue that comes with an interpretation that's a message for everybody. But everybody is supposed to be able to pray in English and pray in the tongues of, of angels. Everybody is supposed to be able to do that, and I'll show you that in just a second. What is the purpose of speaking in tongues? Well, it's to be a witness to glorify God, to be assigned to unbelievers. You can study these scriptures to intercede for the lost. The Bible says sometimes we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays through us in the tongue of angels. And then the Bible says we can also sing in tongues. Believe it or not, you'll hear that here. We're not weird. We're just doing what the Bible says. The next one, how can I know for sure that God will baptize me with the Holy Spirit? Because some people are like, man, this church looks a little crazy. You guys are like sounding like Bedouin warriors. You know, how do I know I'll get the right thing? Jesus actually told us, when you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, he'll never give you a snake. He'll never give you a bad thing. Just like you wouldn't give a snake to your children if they asked for bread. That's the exact example Jesus gives us. Why would he ask us to, to pray for it and give us something bad? If you click on this picture, you can go through the whole book of Acts and you can see the pattern. This is why we call this the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every time we see them getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's always tongues and then something else. Like in the passage of Acts 2, there's tongues and then there's wind and fire. In Acts 10, there's tongues and then there's prophecy. In Acts 19, there's tongues and then there's prophecy. Uh, praising God, rather, and then tongues here in prophecy. One passage just says they received it, and there's no signs, but it was so powerful that it says somebody wanted to buy it so they could give it to others. So imagine, a and he says he was a magician. He goes, can I have the power? He asked Peter, can I have the power that when I pray for people, they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit too? And, the, and Peter goes, uh, may you perish along with your money. Basically rebukes him. But even though there's no signs or wonders mentioned there, ask yourself this question. Why would Chris Angel want to pay for something we do in this church if it don't look right. It looked so powerful and so meaningful to this magician. He was willing to pay to do those things. And some of y'all have been boom shakalaka by the power of God, and you know what I'm talking about. And so a magician who saw some of these services where somebody falls down or gets touched and prophesies and tells the future, they may want to pay to be able to do that. Well, that's how we know something must have happened there. Let's go to the last scripture that I have, please. In closing, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a good passage to read. I don't have time to get into it, but this is Moses at the end um, of, a, of a journey he's having with the Israelites, and they're not listening to him, and they're only coming to him because he was the really only prophet of that time. And God said, you know what? I'm going to pour out my spirit on a few more because I can see that it's not going good for you and it's not going good for them. So I'm going to give more of the elders the spirit. Well, a few other elders got it, who weren't in the, the group meeting. And some of the Israelites go, man, there's these two dudes. They're out here prophesying, doing spiritual things, but they weren't in the group that you called the prayer meeting with. Should we tell them to stop? And then this is what Moses says as a prophet in line with Joel, because Joel says it's going to be on everybody one day. Look at what Moses then said, probably the greatest prophet other than John the Baptist in the Old Testament. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So, Mo so Moses was saying, man, don't get jealous because there's other people prophesying. I pray that everybody here prophesies. So what does it start with? The baptism of the Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and then you get the ability to prophesy and do these supernatural things for God. If you're excited about that, let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Let's get the altar workers band up here. And let's get baptized in the Spirit. Y'all ready? It's up to you. I'm not going to force you. But let's do this. Let's just start in prayer. If you trust me as your pastor, just raise up your hands to Jesus and say this with me. Jesus, I receive all that you have for me. Take away any fear that I have. Come on, right now, I receive. Before anybody even prays for you right now, I pray you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, be born again and then be baptized in the Spirit. But right now, before anybody prays for you, you just talk to God on your own and say, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. As you're praying, I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Put it up on the screen for me, please, brother. As you guys start praying, I want you to hear this. 
because here's the promise of Joel when it first came to the church. When the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all gathered together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to set and rest on each one of them. All of them filled with, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I pray right now everyone will be filled, filled with the Spirit, speaking in other tongues right now. Come on. This is the last day outpouring. If you're already filled, start speaking in the tongues of angels. Be filled, be filled, be filled. Those who have not yet been filled, ask God to do it. And he'll give you a sound like you've never heard before. Speak it out. Don't be embarrassed. Speak it out. Don't be ashamed. It's time for the power of God to come. Power, fuego, fuego de Dios, fire of God, viena esta casa, Espíritu Santo, fuego, 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 mas, mas, in el nombre de Jesús, in the name of Jesus, Jesus baptize us in fire, in the Holy Ghost. Make us your living witnesses. Make us your martyrs, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not weird. We're not weird. We're just like our disciples. We're just like our apostles. We're doing what Jesus commanded. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody might say, well, what if I don't understand it? God understands it. That's the point. When it's meant to be a message for others, God will give you the interpretation. If you have more questions, trust me, our prayer workers and, and, and leaders will help you in Bible study. But let's just go with the flow right now. Let the Holy Spirit use you. If you need prayer and you want someone to pray with you for the baptism of the Spirit, just come up even right now. Come on, those who are baptized in the Spirit, keep speaking in other tongues. Those who would want to receive this, come on up. You can ask questions. They're not going to force it on you. The Holy Spirit is not, is not going to possess you like an evil spirit. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman, will not violate your will. When you see people acting strange in church, that's either because they're strange or God's doing something we don't understand. But you've been around most of you and many of you to know we don't do very many strange things, right? We're not, we're not looking for a weirdness here. What we're wanting to do is be filled with power. A few more moments if you want prayer for this. It's powerful, powerful blessing. Now there's others here who say, I've already been filled, but I'm convicted to be a witness a living martyr for Jesus. Can we pray for you if you got convicted in this service? Just come forward right now. We want to pray for you. You're not going to live a reckless life. You don't have a death wish. But what you're simply saying is my life.